0: Okay, so it's January 15th, 2017. The message today is called The Hand of Unity. And uh, if there is a subtitle to it, it's The Seven Uses of Unity in the Scripture. If you happen to have a 1984 NIV, how many of you have one of those? All right, so answer out loud with your mouth, not just with your hands. Okay, it's all right. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to talk in church, y'all. Look, nobody gets thrown out of here for talking. Uh, You might be challenged in what you say, but that's part of the church process. In the 1984 NIV, the word unity only shows up seven times. It spans the Older and the Newer Testament. And in those instances, it becomes kind of uh, informative to look and see what's unique about them. And so we're going to do that this morning. Normally, this would be the kind of thing I would do on a Monday night but i just love you enough to bring Monday night to Sunday morning. And uh, uh, to to just let you know while you're taking notes, I will cue you in to each one of the occurrences. There's going to be one through seven for them. And (laughs) interestingly enough, the phrase unity does not even one time have the same Greek or Hebrew phrase behind it. So not only is it only translated seven times in the Bible... But all seven are derived from a different phrase in the Greek or the Hebrew, which just lends itself to all kind of preachable and insightful moments. Amen? Amen. Let's let's move forward. I want to show you about God's finger or God's hand. When we talk like this, finger or hand, I don't know what it was like growing up in your house, but in mine, with my little boys, I told them that this was six months in the hospital this was instant death and so I'd play with him. I mean it's hard to imagine this you know bronze Adonis here being just a little boy running around in his underwear but when the church started that's what was happening and so I I told him you're not worthy of fists son you get the finger and I hold him down you know and tickle him with my finger And I was, no, daddy, daddy, stop. And, you know, he's running towards me the whole time, right? (laughs) In the Bible, men spoke this way as well. You know, uh, the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, said, uh, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. And so there was a comparison between uh, what you could accomplish and the size of your finger and a comparison with, the size of your hand and what could be accomplished that way Uh, we're going to get to a very first mentioned scripture here in just a second but before we do just to to cue you into another couple favorites have you ever read in psalm 144 he trains my hands for war my fingers for battle okay in other words your hands get the larger task and your fingers get the individual battles but Even that scripture is a little bit reminiscent of like a kung fu movie or something where a punch is blocked and then all of a sudden the finger comes out and, you know, knocks the guy down, right? (laughs) Frank's the only one. He and I grew up watching kung fu theater on Sunday afternoon, right? Let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 8, verses 3, I'm sorry, yeah, let's let's take Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4. Say there when you were there. Whenever we're not uh, in the scripture, Joy, put that other slide back up, and uh, there are a few more points we want to cover from it. Are you in Psalm 8? Yes. Psalm 8. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The Son of Man that you care for him? Isn't that a beautiful passage? Yes. You might have seen that in a Christian bookstore or something uh, as a sticker somebody puts on a wall. I'm told that's more a, a, a more appropriate analogy than constantly telling you an old lady quilted it on a pillow. <laughs> Apparently, there's some quilters in here that don't like me saying that. <clears throat> don't quilt me anything and put it on a pillow. <laughs> the king of the universe did something interesting says when i consider your heavens the work of your fingers god created the heavens with his fingers didn't even take his whole hand the first time the phrase finger of god shows up in the scripture is from exodus 8 19 let's turn there in exodus 8 we have a pretty famous passage, you know, this is where Charlton Heston reaches Ewell Brenner in the Cecil B. DeMille classic, and uh, this, this is the let my people go moment. This is the exodus, and it's the first time in all of the scripture that the phrase finger of God appears, and just to give you an idea, we've had a plague of blood, and you know what, when the plague of blood happened, the Egyptians were able to reproduce the plague of blood. Then we had a plague of frogs, and the Egyptians were able to reproduce the frogs. Each one of those plagues came with a warning beforehand. I'm about to do this. I'm about to do this. The third plague was the plague of gnats. It did not come with a warning, and the Egyptians were not able to reproduce it. That pattern shows up throughout the Exodus. It is warning, warning, no warning. It is replication, replication, a miracle that cannot be uh, replicated. That shows an escalation with God. It shows that he is tender, he's merciful, he will warn you and he will warn you and then you reach a place of judgment that he, he's not going to warn you about anymore. It shows that he will start with the light and he will move towards the heavy. And if you make him, he'll use his right hand on you. But what he wants to do is touch you with just his finger. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. The Egyptians recognize something. Start in verse 16. 8:16. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt the dust will become gnats. They did this and when Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. Uh, But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. Say they could not. They could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. The magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. When there's something happened that men could not do, period... They attributed it to the finger of God. That's the very first mention of the finger of God in Scripture, which begins to beg the question, if God can create the heavens with his finger, if God can demolish Egypt with his finger, what can he do with his hand? But this is not the last time the finger of God shows up in the Scripture. And I want to show you a couple of those just so that you begin to develop an appreciation for what happens to it as we move forward. Is that all right? Yeah. In uh, Luke 11, 17. 11, 17. Say there when you're There. Yeah. 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 Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God... Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How did Jesus drive out demons? By the, By the finger of God. The same finger that brought Egypt to their knees. The same finger here that calls out the Prince of Demons with no problem. We're pretty clear there? Yes. Watch the synoptic account of this and see how cool this is. Matthew twelve, twenty-five. Say, there when you were there. there, there. Rob got there. Where are the rest of you? Come on, angel. You getting there, it's going to be in red letters, girl. Titus is in the back. He's trying to get there. All right, who's there? there? Amen. Sounds like we're there. Matthew 12, 25. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What phrase changed there? We went from the finger of God... To the Spirit of God. Do you know what that tells you? The finger of God is synonymous with the Spirit of God. Do you know why that's very, very interesting? Turn with me to Exodus 31. Say there when you get there. The faster you get there, the sooner you get to go eat today. You can eat anything you want after church except you cannot devour your pastor. I'm going to do my best today and you're going to love me and be full of grace. Exodus 31, verse 18. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the testimony, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. If the finger of God and the Spirit of God are synonymous and Jesus speaks as if they are, then the Holy Spirit of God is who inscribed the law on stone. There is no conflict between the Holy Spirit and the law They're just as beautiful as each other. They are both life and death. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. Ask those who were born again and spirit-filled on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is like the finger of God. And if you're on the right side of the finger, it's a blessing. If you're on the wrong side of the finger, it is most certainly death. There is no conflict between the law and the Spirit. There is a conflict between your flesh and the law. Your flesh is weakened in the sinful nature and you're unable to keep it. This is why the prophets promise us that the Spirit of God will enter you and write His law on your heart, sprinkle you with clean water, you will be clean and move you to keep the decrees. But the finger of God is synonymous with the Spirit of God. Incidentally, what was hovering over the waters in Genesis 1? The Spirit of God. How were the heavens created then? By the finger or the Spirit of God? Oh man, before we go any further, how much do you need the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? And if the Lord can do that with his finger, what can he do with his whole hand? If just seeing the Lord's finger is that kind of blessing, Then what would it be like to have him extend his entire hand into a human being that he's wearing like a glove and he is God walking among us? This is why it said Jesus had the fullness of the Spirit. It's why he's spoken about Jesus and the nature of God that he gives the Spirit without limit. In the first century, God's finger didn't show up. His whole hand showed up, moving in the midst of men. Somebody said that's, that's pretty neat. This is what the Hebrews would call a romance. The fact that God uses his finger in a creation work, and we're going to find out he uses his hand somewhere else, says that the creation work was amazing, but what we're going to talk about next is even more amazing. Do you recognize that as a Comer type discussion? Yes. Would you like to see the first time hand shows up in all of the Scripture? Yes. At least the hand of God. The very first time is 2 Chronicles 30 in verse 12. To get to 30 in verse 12, I want to talk to you about 2 Chronicles 30 for a minute. A man named Hezekiah, a descendant of David, who was ruling in Judah, who was born in about 736 B.C., wanted to do something that had not been done in large numbers since the time of David. Anytime you want to create a movement among people, it's difficult. Do you know why? We're individualistic by nature. The very first time the phrase, the hand of God, appears in the scripture, let us begin in uh, 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 4. Say there when you were there. Yeah. The plan seemed right to both the king and the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan, Beersheba's in the south, Dan is in the furthest northern region, calling the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to Yahweh, the God of Israel. It had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what was written. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah and letters from the king and from his officials which read, "'People of Israel, return to the Lord, "'the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, "'that He may return to you who are left, "'who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. "'Do not be like your fathers and brothers "'who were unfaithful to the Lord, "'the God of their fathers, "'so that they made them an object of horror, as you see. "'Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were. "'Submit to the Lord. "'Come to the sanctuary which He has consecrated forever.' Serve the Lord your God so that His fierce anger will turn away from you. If you return to the Lord, then your brothers and your children will be shown compassion by their captors and will come back to this land. And the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. Say gracious Gracious. and and compassionate. He will not turn His face from you if you return to Him. The couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. Nevertheless, some of the men of Asher, Manasseh and Zebulun, humbled themselves and went to Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing that the advancement of the gospel has been just like Hezekiah's letter? Most people have met it with scorn. Most people have met it with ridicule. But a few have humbled themselves and come to the Lord. Watch what happens in verse 12. Also in Judah, the hand of God was on the people to give them unity of mind to carry out what the king and his officials had ordered, following the word of the Lord. This passage says that in Judah, in the southern kingdom, the hand of God was on the people. Now he had laid his finger upon Egypt and laid it to waste. He laid his finger upon the creation and the heavens were born. But it took his whole hand to bring the people into a unity of mind. Do you know why that would be? The creation itself, God can touch with its finger, with his finger and it obeys him. But mankind, it takes God's entire hand upon you to get you to come into unity with his spirit. Of all of the creation, we are the only part of it that has the audacity to look at our God and say no and treat his message with ridicule and scorn. The good news is he's gracious, he's compassionate, and he doesn't want to put his finger of judgment on you. He wants to put his hand of unity on you. Now what is interesting here to me is he says specifically God's hand was on the people to give them something. He wanted to give them what the NIV calls unity of mind. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But it was for a purpose. To carry out what the king and his officials had ordered. And what had they ordered? Them to follow the word of God. If you want to get into true unity with the Lord, it's going to come by virtue of you being in proper relationship to the authorities he's put in your life and to the word of God which they are directing you in. It is not possible to be in unity while being out of order with man and God's word. And it's not an either or. (laughs) You have to be in unity with both. Can you say amen to that? While we're considering that. If we could go to the first mention of the hand of God slide, which I think is your next one. There we go. In 2 Chronicles 30, 12, where the NIV says unity of mind, that is not what the, the Hebrew text says. They translated it unity of mind because it's a dynamic translation and they're trying to explain a thought to you. But the actual Hebrew words are Ihad Lib. To help you understand Ihad Lib, in this next slide, I have something I want to show you. This is the definition of Ihad. It's a numerical adjective, meaning one, first, once, or the same. We've got that. That's what one means to us. But it has the idea of unity, or integrity, as when it designates one justice for all. In other words, whether you're a foreign or an alien, the Bible says that there is one law for you. That doesn't mean there is a singular law uh, in the sense of only one command. It means that the same law speaks in the same way to all people. An actual physical unity, Ihad, can mean. Ihad is a descriptor of The Lord who is obviously plural, Elohim is a plural word, but acts in a singular way. So, iḥad has to do with a plural thing being perfectly unified. Another way to say it is, it expresses agreement or unity among persons. So, when he says one heart, although there's many people, he's talking about them sharing something. Let's see what heart is, what lieb is. That's our next slide. There are three forms of the Hebrew word lieb or heart. But all of them refer both to the organ that's beating in your chest and also the very center of something. This picture comes from a town called Bet Shin. I went there in 1997 and it's a perfectly uh, preserved Roman road from the first century. Uh, the hill in the background Uh, that is flat, looks like a plateau, was a Beatle album in the 60s. And none of you knew that. (laughs) That's good for you. uh, I was in a church where everyone knew that at one point. Uh, When we look at the Hebrew word lieb, and they translated it into Greek, it's the word cardia. It's where in English we get cardiac from. So when we say uh, cardiology, when we say anything like that, and we're referring to a heart its roots in Greek and before that in Hebrew are actually the center of the town street. This was called the cardia uh, in, in the Greek world. What God is referring to is not just a unity of mind, He's referring to an agreement in the very center of your being. God's hand has to be on people for the center of who they are to begin to get in alignment with Him and each other. Now what we usually see are things like a party platform, right? We agree on 7 of 10 points, so I guess we're going to vote for this guy, right? Or maybe we disagree with all 10 points of his opponent and one of his, so we're going to vote for this guy. We're used to seeing partial agreement. But God's hand can bring his people to a place where in the very center of their being what we have is a unitedness, a oneness. You know, the only times the world has ever seen that, we saw it under Nimrod uh, at the Tower of Babel. God didn't bring them into a state of oneness in the center of their being. Satan did. And God destroyed the tower. We we saw it before that in Noah's day, where all except eight were wicked, and it filled God in the center of his being. With pain. We saw it again at the cross when, in the language of of Noah's sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, in the language of Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, there was a sign above Jesus' head that said, uh, King of the Jews. Mankind rejected him. We were unified in that way. But there is a time coming when God's hand will bring his people into unity with the center of his being. Oh, how good would that be? While we're thinking about that, that very same phrase, the very same idea, not translated unity, but the very same phrase, "ihad lib," shows up a couple other places in the Bible. It's interesting to note they are both right after God has judged His people. The first one that I want to show you is Jeremiah 32, verse 38. Say there when you were there. Are y'all able to follow me this morning? You're getting it? We could just give you three points in a poem. Let you tip God by passing a plate. Make sure that you have a parking lot to parking lot experience of 28 or 29 minutes. Pick you up and drop you off in a golf cart. Send you with a clever slogan and no scripture. Watch you go to hell while we enrich and fatten ourselves. But we've decided to bring us into a single heart after God this morning amen I don't want him to point his finger alone at me I want him to take me by the hand I want to walk hand in hand with him have you ever heard the question Amos asks how can two walk together there's only one way to walk together you're going to have to be in agreement I want to get in agreement with the Lord this morning do you In Jeremiah 32, verse 38, they will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart. That phrase, singleness of heart, is ichad lib. I will give them singleness of heart and, 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 singleness of heart should produce an action. It's one thing to stand here and say, I agree, I agree, I agree. Well, that's singleness of mind. That's unity in your mind. But we have to go beyond unity in the mind, and we have to move towards things that are more like a unity in the heart. And unity in the heart produces an action. Well, I love the NIV to translate this phrase, unity of mind, in 2 Chronicles 30, 12, leaves something out. If it's just in the mind, then why did their feet carry them all the way from northern Israel to southern Israel to go to the temple? If it was just in the mind, then why did they lay aside the civil war that had been going on before that and show up and worship the Lord together? If it was just in their mind, how did they overcome centuries of warfare to show up there united in the presence of God? It was far more than the mind. It went down into the center of their being. And what is in the center of your being will work its way into your actions in jeremiah he says i am going to give them a singleness of heart and action ehad lib watch how beautiful this passage is so that they will always fear me for their own good and the good of their children after them can you say god is merciful and compassionate he cares about your good and your children's good. And he gives us a singleness of heart and action. And he leave because he cares how it goes for you and your children. Parents, don't tell me you love your children if you do not love them enough to walk with the Lord. Don't tell me you love your children if you say, Well, I took them to church. That's not enough. They are going to learn how to be in agreement with the Lord from watching you be in agreement with the Lord. And the most devastating thing that has ever happened to children is when their parents are not in agreement with the Lord, but telling them to be. That is a hypocrisy that they just cannot stand. Verse 40, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Oh man, I will never stop. Say never stop. He's never gonna stop never going to stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in the land with all of my heart and soul. God has a heart and soul. You have a heart and soul and they must be in unity. The Bible calls that When we're talking about how to get an agreement with the Lord, from the first mention of unity in the scripture, we find out that God wants to restore you after destruction. And it goes beyond an intellectual acceptance. It goes beyond just will and emotions. It goes all the way in to your actions. Say, I'm going to act do you know that Peter said, prepare your mind for action? What begins in your heart and in your mind must show up in your feet. This is why faith without works is dead. It's no real faith at all. But if you have in the center of your heart a trust in God, it will show up in all of the fruit of your actions. Turn with me to Ezekiel eleven nineteen. It's the second time... That ihad Leib shows up in the scripture. Say there when you were there. Enjoy, you can just follow me with the slides. We don't have to keep going back to that one. In Exodus eleven nineteen. I'm sorry. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I will give them an undivided heart. The phrase undivided heart, Ehad Leib. Now, you have to love our Bible translators for picking three different English phrases for one uh, Hebrew phrase. But it gives you an idea of the complexity of the language and the depth of the meaning. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit spirit in them. There is a relationship between the center of your being and your spirit. In fact, some would say that the center of your being is your spirit, that you are a spirit... You live in a body and you possess a soul or have a soul. Mind, will, and emotions. The reason that I'm bringing that up is when God brings you into Ihad lib, he has to do it by way of his spirit. The mind of sinful man is death. When you get born again, it's not just your mind cleaned up, your mind emptied out, your mind renewed. You have to receive an entirely new mind. An entirely new heart called the mind of Christ. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Doesn't that sound like the Lord wants to meet you way more than halfway? He wants to inscribe on your heart, his ways, his laws. He wants to fill you with his spirit and bring you into perfect agreement with the center of his being. You know, there's probably not any way we could get the center section of this church all in mass to agree with the section that is on my left. You probably couldn't do it if you spent a lifetime doing it. But if you get everybody to agree with the Lord then everybody will be on the same page immediately. Church, people unite around all kinds of things. Republicans and Democrats, people who are 20 years old to 80 years old will go to a Rolling Stone concert, raise a lighter in the air, and watch a ridiculous old man jump around in tights with huge lips. (laughs) And they're perfectly united in it. I mean... You would think we were watching something on another planet, but something has brought them into a oneness with each other. You can find people unite over all kind of things. Surely the body of Christ can unite over the spirit of Christ, yeah? yeah. yeah. The last time that this phrase appears, iḥad Lieb in the scripture is also in the writings. It's 1 Chronicles 12. Let's turn there real quick. And in 1 Chronicles 12, look at verse 38. All these were fighting men who volunteered. Say, fighting fighting men. I don't know what kind of man you are, but this one is a fighting man. And you're gonna have to question the second word in the phrase if you don't have the first word in the phrase. If you were a man who will not fight for his family, you're not much of a man. If you're a man who will not fight for the Lord, you are not much of a man. If you stand and say that you are a man and you are not a fighting man, you might as well get that little trash bag tie on the top of your head like the rest of the uh, effeminate men running around. All these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined. Somebody say fully determined. Fully determined. Fully determined to make David king over all Israel. The rest of the Israelites who also were of one mind say one mind. one mind to make david king when israel got into one mind that phrase is actually in hebrew one heart once they got in agreement with god something happened they wanted david as their king united from the top of israel to the bottom of israel when you get in agreement with god do you know what the first thing that happens is you want Jesus to be Lord over every area of your life. Ihad Lib is a lordship issue. As long as we are saying that he is not Lord of some area, then he is, you're not in oneness of heart with him. In the center of your being, something is contaminating you. It's what Ezekiel called an undivided heart. You have a division in your heart. He's Lord of this, but not this. Theologians have asked this question, is it possible for him to be Lord of part and not Lord of all? That answer is a big fat no. To be carnally minded is death. If you know the good that you ought to do and you are not doing it, you have no assurance, period, none. Theologians that say otherwise are patting their pockets with your tips because you are paying them to tell you what what you want to hear. The truth is, when you sin, you should be afraid. You should come immediately to repentance. It is a gift from God that His fear is upon us so that we will do good, and our children will do good. And He is compassionate. That's, that we, we just read that passage. Three times in the Word, the phrase ihad lib shows up, and only once is it translated unity. But every time you can see it has to do with unity, doesn't it? Would you like to move on? Fully determined to make Jesus king of every area of your life? How many of you are fully determined? How many of you are fully determined? Fully determined fighting men. you know the very first thing that you have to fight with? Is that beast of a fleshly nature in you. I have observed that the toughest of men and the sweetest of women have an equally disgusting carnal nature i have observed that you can sit and smile and be just as selfish as a squealing carnal nature of a pig that is inside of us it happens all of the time you don't let it die easy you want to conceal it and it not be there right concealing it only makes it grow so god when he loves us circumcises our heart He shows us which areas of our heart and life are not fully submitted to Him for one purpose so that we can come in agreement with Him. And when you're in agreement with Him, it immediately gives you actions that put you into agreement with others. If you find yourself in disagreement with everyone around you on a weekly basis, the problem is you. Should we just let that sit for a while? Say, well, Oh, that's kind of hard. Yeah, well, it's equally hard for the person on your left and right because we have the same pig trapped inside of us. We've declared it dead, but it still squeals from time to time, yes. right? Making Jesus Lord of every area of you is putting to death that disunity that is inside of us. The thing that wants its own way at all costs, the thing that will stand flat-footed and fight not to be wrong. Now, I would know something about this. I've got a fully grown sinful nature inside of me. But I have a fully grown Christ inside of me. And so I count myself dead to sin and alive to Christ. And the most glorious thing happens. His hand is upon me to bring me into unity with Him. Is His hand upon you today? Do you want His hand upon you in a greater way? Would you like Him to steer your life? Are you fully determined for Him to be king? If you're not fully determined for him to be king, if the word does not reign in every area of your life, then make no mistake, you have rejected him as king and chosen yourself as the anti-Christ of your own life. Do we want that? Nobody does. So where you discover it, kill it. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm going to do it with you today. The second mention of unity in all of the NIV is in psalm 133 i put the entire psalm on this slide can y'all read that is that big enough for you to read yes. okay how good you know before we do that i want to share one other thing with you is that okay yeah. a light-hearted thing an easy thing how many of you have lived in louisiana at some point in your life yeah ah oh, sha, sure, baby Don't get upset with me, that's about a third of the church. One of the greatest football coaches that ever lived was a guy named Paul Bear Bryant. Here recently, a guy named Nick Saban has tied some of his records. Neither of those guys are very popular in Louisiana because his arrival usually meant your loss. I don't mind quoting Bear Bryant this morning knowing that he was an Alabama football coach? Because everything he learned, he learned in his years at Texas A&M, here before he went to Alabama. When asked about his winning career, yeah, he was in Texas from 1954 to 1957. The minor accomplishments he had in Alabama were years after that. He said, I'm just a simple plow hand from Arkansas, but I've learned over the years how to hold a team together, how to lift some men up and how to calm others down until finally they've got one heartbeat. That's what I call a team. One heartbeat. Are you in the heartbeat of Christ today? Some of you need to be picked up to reach that place. Others of you need to be calmed down to reach that place. Undoubtedly, Those of you that need to be picked up will feel pushed down when I preach. Those of you who need to be pushed down, well, I'll hit that mark today. Uh, I can do that without any problem. Your next message will have a little more sparkle in it, and it'll help those of you that are struggling behind. The point is, whether you need to speed up or slow down, we have one goal. We have to get in one heartbeat with the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Psalm 133 is about one heartbeat with each other. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the Yes, it does say that, doesn't it? I want to make sure, Spence, that I got this right. It is like precious oil poured on the head. Okay, we all have that. Running down on the... You draw your own conclusions from that. Running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the color of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There is a blessing that flows from unity... When we're talking about this kind of unity, this is the only time this phrase appears in the Bible. It's yahad gam. And when I say that, uh, these are popular words, but they never appear together anywhere else in the Bible. And it's something that is difficult to translate because of it. It's not difficult to understand or get close to. It has to do with togetherness and unity. But because we've added the word gam to that... It also has the connotation of suddenly, all at once. In other words, this text is saying how good and pleasant it is when brothers come suddenly together in total unity. It's ascribing it to a supernatural force, like the appearance of dew from the heavens, like the appearance of an anointed man and that anointing traveling to others by means of his beard. Right? What I'm getting at here is this kind of brotherly unity is something that is supernatural that has to occur. Does that make sense? If you get in his heartbeat, he will put you suddenly into a brotherly unity with the people that are around you. Okay? And that is beautiful. If you want to get your life right with the Lord, the prophecy today said, Leave your gift at the altar and go make it right with your brother. It turns out that there's a relationship between being in his heartbeat and being in unity with the people that are around you. And you cannot have one without the other. Many people have seen this in the beams of the cross. The vertical relationship is you getting right with God. The horizontal relationship is you getting right with your fellow man. And if you get right with God then it puts you right with the people who are around you. You cannot be right with one without the other. It will not work. Always, 1 John, the first chapter, verses 5 through 7, always, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you will have fellowship one with another. Fellowship with the Lord will produce right fellowship with the people around you. How many of you have never had a... Don't raise your hands. Never had a friendship that lasted more than five years. Or if you did, it's because you only see each other once a year. Okay? When we cannot hold ourselves in right relationship with other people, it's because there is a fleshly mutant inside of us warping all of our actions. When we find contention with people around us and claim that we are right with God, you need to get right with God, and He will show you how to get right with the people that are around you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Unfortunately, it makes better sense than we would like it to because it's very indicting. But consider that he wants to put his hand on you. He wants to bring you into unity. He wants to fix the relationship of you to the people around you. He wants that and he's going to do it and he can do it suddenly is Psalm 133. In the third time... In Scripture, the third mention of unity in all of the Scripture is in the Newer Testament. Is that shocking? That you make it all the way through the Older. Of course, many of them are untranslated. We've been reading the ones that are untranslated, but in the Newer Testament, we get such a beautiful picture of what actual unity looks like. Jesus says in John seventeen twenty, "My prayer is not for them alone." I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. The word one in Greek does not have that same plural unity idea. The word one in Greek literally means one. It's obviously being used as a figure of speech, but this is very much like a husband and wife are considered to be one unit before God not two individuals who happen to just be in agreement God literally refers to them as one new creation here he's saying that he is in his father and his father is in him like the number one that is an incredible statement may they also be in us we're saying that we are added to the father and the son may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me I have given them glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. Jesus being in unity with the Father puts you in unity with Him and you in unity with the other believers. Can you see that in this passage? It's everything that I've been saying up to this point. I in them and you in me. May they be brought, say may they be brought, brought. to complete unity. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That phrase, complete unity. Jesus described it so aptly. And by the way, he was not teaching. Do you know what he was doing here? Praying. The Lord of glory, the hand of God on earth was praying. Do you know who he was praying for? He was not praying for his disciples. That was in the previous verses. He's praying for those who would believe on the disciples' message. That's you. That's me. That we would be brought to a place that he calls complete unity. That phrase, uh, the root of it is teleos. You can see it on your screen in 5048. And then 1520 is hean. And that, that literally has to do With there is an intended goal that needs to be reached. And it's the goal of becoming single. A single unit together. We start off many members, but we are referred to as one body. A single entity. The body of Christ. Man, you cannot unite any three churches on any one road. I mean, it it is incredible. And I'm as much of a part of that problem as everybody else. We like to emphasize our differences. And I'm not willing to set aside the Scripture for the sake of unity. I believe the Scripture will bring real unity. It requires us to set aside our flesh. And having said that, this was the goal of God for us. Does it register anywhere in your life as a goal? (laughs) I mean, think on this for a second. If you wake up thinking about what you're going to do that day, you do what you said you were going to do that day, and you go to sleep and do the same thing every day, at what point are you concerned with making sure that you're in unity with those that are around you? Not just unity, complete unity. The American dream is hostile to the prayer of Jesus. If everybody has a lawnmower and everybody has a car for every person, you don't need each other at all. In fact, many of you live on a street and don't know the name of your neighbors on either side? Right? Am I lying here? How can we be in complete unity? How could you go to a congregation like this and not be fellowshipping with the people that are around you all of the time? How how could you get so far off of the mark that you prefer to be home alone as opposed to with the group in unity i just needed a little me time has it turned into mostly me time that's the opposite of circumcising your heart that's packing it with piggly fat that is just squeezing squealer right in there making sure that there's nobody else around you for iron to sharpen iron Have you been trapped into isolation within one of the most dynamic bodies you'll ever be a part of? Have you made it so hard for people to invite you that they've just stopped? Rather sit home, watch Netflix? That's not true for most. But my goal is complete unity. Not partial. Did you misunderstand the marriage teaching in our church? For the first year, we're not supposed to lay any new burden on you. It means no new war campaigns. It means you don't start a new business in the first year of marriage. You know what it doesn't mean? That you stop every other thing that you were already doing and just sit at home and have me time. That would be the fastest way to wreck your marriage. The best way to build a life is in unity with everyone around you as we're in the heartbeat of the Lord. Do you want to be in the heartbeat of the Lord? Yes. I'm not going to ask you if I'm preaching to you. I can feel the weight of those words. It's my prayer that it's placed appropriately in here. And that those of you who need to come up, that you'll be encouraged to do that, right? Amen. When we're talking about this, there is a goal to be reached. That teleos, that is a goal that that needs to be reached. The fourth account in the scripture is Romans 15, 5. Let's go there. It's actually on the slide. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a... What's that say? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a... If you have no endurance and you have no encouragement, if you make commitments and don't keep them, if you're fired up for a week and then not fired up for three weeks, could it be that part of what you're missing is a spirit of unity? Could it be that you've not learned what it is to walk at pace with other people? There's a reason that things are more successful in groups. We can see our brothers around us. They help us keep time with the heartbeat of God. We can see whether we're ahead or behind the pack. We can check our discernment against theirs. We can look around us to see whether or not we're doing all right. Man is not our final standard, not our final judge, but other men who are striving to reach that standard may be a visible representation of how you can do it too. Otherwise, why have church? Why have a five-fold ministry? Why have men go evangelize other men? Why not just drop leaflets from the sky? Because God knew that you would need the Word lived out in the flesh. So He sent His Son as the example, and then He has raised up those who are in unity with His Son to be the example to the rest of the world. Tell me that doesn't make all the sense in the world. I know that it does. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. While this is the fourth occurrence of unity in the Word, it's also another unique phrase for unity. It says... uh, autos uh, phronin. this uh, fronin has to do uh, most specifically with um, harmony with another it has to do with your will and affections and conscience Uh, fronin or froneo is translated as will affections and conscience and autos means the same consider this if you're going to walk in the unity of the Spirit, it means that your will is going to have to be set on what their will is set on. It means that your affections are going to have to be the same as their affections. It means that your conscience is going to have to be similarly trained to theirs. Be careful that a difference of opinion is not really a difference of your will. That a difference of opinion is not really a difference of your affection. That a difference of opinion is not really a different conscience because we're commanded to have the same in all of those cases. A spirit of unity is will, affections, and conscience that are the same as the Spirit of God. How can we be filled with the Spirit of God and have a different will than each other and than Him? And have a different affection than each other and Him? And have a different conscience than each other than Him? There's only one Spirit. It's not a different Holy Spirit that fills Buddy Brasso than fills Nolan Hewitt. The same Holy Spirit. If you're going to have a spirit of unity, then His will should be found in you. His affection should be found in you. His conscience should be found in you. You know what that means? When you come to what you think is a difference of opinion, it's an extraordinarily serious matter. It's not, oh, well, we'll just agree to disagree because we have to be in the spirit of Christ. And he is not divided. He is one. Now, you're awful quiet at the moment. Did that get your attention? We feel very free to be very independent. We need to be careful that we're not being very rebellious. In the very next verse, which I'm not going to read... Verse 6, he mentions one heart. That word is homothumadon We've taught on that many times and I'm not going to do it now. But to get people in one heart means that they have to have a spirit of unity. Your will, your affections, your conscience, they have to be unified with the spirit. And if they're unified with the spirit, if we're all checking with the same source, then that ought to bring serious attention to any differences among us, Right? It it really ought to. Do you know what Paul said about differences among you? Hey, it's good that you have differences among you, that we might see whom God favors. In other words, the difference doesn't stay there. You will see where God's favor rests and then adjust your will, adjust your affection, and adjust your conscience so that you're one with the Spirit. Oh, that's a better word. Look, I'm preaching this better than you're listening to it. I got it. It's difficult. You're trying to figure out how you're going to do that. You're running through the laundry list in your mind wondering whether you've already violated it. Let's just assume you already have. And let's make up our mind that we treat all differences very seriously. This does not mean you require everybody to agree with you. They have to be able to hear from the Lord. But to just say, well, we're going to disagree and then neither one of us tried to hear from the Lord about it is supremely arrogant. Yeah, that's, that's really wrong, isn't it? One of the things that blesses me is we have elders in this church. We've often disagreed. The elders are almost always right. I want you to know that. Almost always. That's why they're elders, and we are so thankful for that. But through the years, we have almost no differences among us. We choose to practice things differently, but our understanding, our conscience, our will, our affections, they are not different. I recently sat back and listened to an elder teach something that... I thought, I mean, it could have come out of my mouth. And I thought that there may have been differences there in the past. Do you know what the Holy Spirit has done? He's brought us into the same will, the same affections, the same conscience, and we elect to practice things differently. There's not a thing in the world wrong with a different practice. There is something very wrong with the conscience of Jesus Christ being different in different places. Cannot be. Does that make sense? the Lord will bring us to unity. Anybody who sincerely loves the Lord and is seeking His face daily, the Lord will keep adjusting our lives until we're in unity. And where you could call it discord and rebellion is when we refuse that process. All right. Would you like to go to the fifth one? Five's the number of grace, right? (laughs) Ephesians 4, 3. Say there when you were there. Very, very quiet in here. Stone cold quiet. So I'm going to ask for a random comment. Justin, tell us something. That big smile on your face, say anything. What what would you like to say? He's blessed. Amen. Say it louder. You don't sound blessed. You sound Baptist at the moment. (laughs) Oh, a Reformed Catholic. Extremely blessed. How about you, Nick What? What's the word? Completely unified. Amen. Amen. You, David Hall, give us a word. This is my family, and I love you. <laughs> this is my family. Amen. How about you, Mandy? Doesn't Mandy look pretty today? Yeah. 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 Mandy is the second prettiest woman on the front row. <laughs> Standards very very high. You made the top two. <laughs> Look, the Lord will bring us to unity. The whole point of this is He lays His hand on us. Why do we lay hands on people? To help bring them into unity. Unity of health with Christ. Unity of spirit with Christ. Unity of purpose with Christ. We lay our hands to represent God's his hand. He shows up His finger for war. He shows up with His finger to create the universe. But He puts His whole hand on you to bring you into unity. Oh, let's be brought into unity, saints. The hand of unity. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 3. Make every effort. How much effort? Effort. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I mean, this is the fifth unique way to say unity in the Scripture. Uh, He notates 35 88 in the Strongs is uh, a kind of oneness of the Spirit, pneumaticos. And five different ways to say the same thing. He wants you to keep the unity of the Spirit. If you're going to keep the unity of the Spirit, the verses go on to talk about one body. How many bodies? One. One Spirit. How many spirits? One. One hope. How many hopes? One. One Lord, how many lords? One, One faith, how many faiths? One, One baptism, how many baptisms? One. One God. The point is is the thing that unifies us is the will of God carried out in our lives. And as we all do that, we find ourselves in unity with each other. For the sixth mention in the scripture, go to Ephesians 4:13, just down the page a little bit. Until we all reach unity in the See, we had unity in the spirit. Now we have unity in the faith. That's again, he notes, that idea of unity, oneness, with pistos, the Greek word for faith. I put the definition there, a oneness in being won over, a oneness in being persuaded, a oneness of faith. A oneness of firm persuasion. A oneness or singleness of conviction. Or belief in truth. Or veracity. Or reality. One reality. We live in one reality. When it comes down to it, lost people live in an entirely different reality. Don't they? They live as if there is not one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The idea is that God himself will put in you a spirit that persuades you in the faith to come into a place of unity. My hope is that you find that beautiful. I do. Seven in the Bible is the number of perfection, isn't it? We began talking about God's finger and then we surmised that he could do more with his hand. And then seven times in the scripture, we come to a place of unity all the phrases are unique in this last one it's characterized by a wholly different idea than have previously been introduced go to colossians 3:14 for our seventh mention of unity and over all these put on love which binds them all together and is it interesting that the seventh mention of unity in Scripture is translated in the NIV, perfect unity? Not partial unity, not close to unity. If love is not our motivator, listen, Islam wants to bring the world into unity as well. Those satanic followers of a pedophile prophet want the world to submit to their version of godliness which is, of course, an antichrist spirit that denies the Son. They see nothing wrong with rape and murder. They see nothing wrong with beheadings or advancing the cause by the sword. This is the most retrograde force left on our planet, and the only reason everyone can't see it is because they're blinded with fear and their own wickedness. Those of us that are free from fear because of the perfect love of God can see it and say what it is. It is satanic. But they want the world to come into unity. The word Muslim means one who submits. But that unity is not at all based on a love for each other. That unity is based on force. They divide the world into two halves. Those who have already submitted to the Lord, their Lord, the the moon god Allah that is in fact Satan. And the other half of the world, which is called The sword. This is what must be waged still in their mind. The unity that the Bible described, a perfect unity, is based on and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. (laughs) I don't know if I can say this, I'll try. Teliotes, a noun from teleos, which we heard earlier. Perfect, One who reaches the goal. Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one in trying to reach the goal. This word says if we're dwelling in love, we are one who has reached the goal. Perfection or perfectness. Stressing the realization of the end in view. The state achieved when a goal has been, say has been, has been been accomplished. To get in the heartbeat of the Lord will cause you to end up with His virtues bound up in love for Him and your fellow man. And we have reached the goal when that is our motivator. That is perfect love. While you're considering that, I want to put these together for you. Starting with the first one. It will be our prayer today that we have a oneness of heart that produces action. What does a oneness of heart produce? Action. It will be our prayer today that we have a sudden agreement in togetherness. Wherever we have stood apart today, suddenly we have gam yada. We come together. That's the Psalm 133 version. The third one. Being a singular entity with Christ, we ought to be indistinguishable from Him so that if somebody were counting, they wouldn't count one, two, three, four, five. They would look and go, oh, one. The fourth one: my will, affections, conscience being as his. One way to examine where there are differences is look at your own will. Do you want things that Jesus does not want? Look at your affections. Do you love things that He does not love? Look at your conscience. Is your conscience condemning of things He approves or approving of things He condemns? Examine your conscience because it must be as His. These are steps to perfect unity. The fifth one, you have to be in total unity with His Spirit. You can't be in total unity with His Spirit if His Spirit has not filled you completely. Some part of you would be left unfilled. Verse 6. Total unity in the firmly persuaded faith. Total unity in pistis. The totally persuaded faith. The seventh. His love for me and me for Him is reaching the goal. You know... We work very hard to make sure that in every message that we teach, we cover the law, the prophets, and the writings. I've done that today. We make sure that in the newer testament, we cover the first five books that we call the newer law. We cover the writings, which we call the epistles. I've done that today. Now, with the small time that I have left before we close, I want to refer you, just in your thoughts, to the very first chapter of the book of Revelation. What is in Jesus' hands? In his hands, he holds the seven churches. What does the hand of God bring? Unity. The reason the hand of God shows up in Scripture is for unity. He holds two things in his right hand in the first chapter. It mentions it three times. He holds the churches and he holds the pastor's. If he holds the church in his hand, then the church has got to be in unity because that's what his hand does. Have you ever read and noticed all the problems those churches have? They're all the same problems churches today have. What his hand does is it brings the correction to each church necessary to put them in and to maintain unity. We mustn't view discipline from the Lord as something meant to destroy us. Discipline from the Lord is the hand of a loving Father bringing you into unity with His will. Amen? Amen. By the way, the Greek words that were behind many of the passages for unity are also in Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 12 where He speaks of His loving hand of discipline. Now as we close I want to consider one last thing if what we want if all we're working for is unity and submission what's the absolute opposite of unity and submission it's discord and rebellion do you see how opposed those two kingdoms are one is based on unity and submission and the other is based on discord and rebellion. In a minute, we're going to stand to our feet. And when we do that, you're going to choose to stand in one kingdom or the other, and there is no fence. There is no way in which you're allowed to keep discord or rebellion in your life and call yourself fully determined to make him king over all his wrath. If you're fully determined, if you have a singleness of mind and heart that brings actions, then there's going to be an action that He requires of you. And that required action takes you out of darkness and into light. Is that not what the prophecies were about at the beginning of the worship service? I want to take you from the mire and put you on the rock. I will sprinkle clean water on you. He was telling us his desire for us. And then the elder's wife stepped forward and prophesied the literal how you do it. Stop trying to get right with me without getting right with your fellow man. Get right with your fellow man and you will be right with me. It's almost as if the Spirit and the Word are in unity today. The testimony of God is in unity is your life in unity. Every church in the book of Revelation, everyone that was in his hand and he was bringing to unity with his discipline was required to take action. The first thing he tells the first church is, I know your deeds. Very first thing. Do you really think that he's not aware of the areas of discord, the areas of rebellion in your life? Do you really think that? If you're his, you're in his hand, and he knows it very well. Don't make him point a finger at you when what he wanted to do was hold you in his hand. Jesus Christ said so clearly, no one can snatch you out of his hand. But you're in his hand for a reason. Stand to your feet, would you? It's possible to bring a message that will um, make you smile or laugh or cry. Your pastors met last night and met today to bring you the message that we thought you needed for this place in your journey. We are proud of this church. We want nothing to stunt our growth. The only thing that could stun our growth is if you make a compact with yourself right now to be immovable in areas that you know are wrong. That's the only way that we could stun our growth. But if not one person in this room is stiff-necked or rebellious or stubborn, then as the Spirit deals with us, we react and we find the blessing of God. The church is not supposed to have square wheels. It's supposed to move when God says move. Any direction he moves is a step forward even if it feels like it's taking you backward. It's not moving backwards to repent. It's not moving backwards to humble yourself. Any step you go in the direction of God's throne is a step forward. Ask Ezekiel. It doesn't matter that it doesn't match your compass. It matches God's spirit. Don't let anything keep you from taking the step in God's direction. Don't let anything come in the way of that. Do you know why? Being in His heartbeat is everything. I have been well-fed and hungry. I've had more than enough money and not enough money. I have been in good health and in bad health. The thing that has sustained my life sharing a heartbeat with the king and knowing, knowing that his affection is upon me. I want you to have that today because it doesn't matter the circumstances around you if you know it. As we begin to worship, you do whatever it takes to get that. The one thing that I just can't imagine is that he would give us seven different ways to attack that problem if it didn't exist in